You know, I think, I think with the pandemic, it's forced a lot of us to be like totally shut down. You know, I, I feel like I am exhausted all of the time because I'm spending so much of my time trying to maintain control because I know that I can get off kilter so fast. I need the day to be exactly just so I need to know exactly what to expect of my day so that I can try and maintain some sort of sense of normalcy and, and function. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review from Diana underscore Fee on the Apple podcast platform. Diana writes, so glad I found this. Recently diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, this has been such a fantastic listen. It really makes me feel like I'm not alone or crazy and there is hope for success in life. Thank you so much for that feedback, Diana. I am so glad you found this podcast and that you're feeling hopeful listening to the interviews with these incredible women. I know I certainly have too. If you're listening and loving this podcast as well, please just quickly stop what you're doing, press pause and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a quick review to let me know. Or you could just simply give me five stars and then come on back. It's really quick and easy and helps this podcast so much in getting found by other women who've been recently diagnosed with ADHD and are looking for answers and community and hoping to feel less alone. And while you're at it, now that you've found your people, come join us over in the Women and ADHD online community. Head over to womenandadhd.com to join us, or you can find the link in the show notes. All right, this is episode 41 in which I interview Liz Westinghouse. Liz and I have been friends for nearly 10 years, and after I accidentally came out about my diagnosis on Facebook, I discovered she too had ADHD. And according to Liz, she fits the ADHD personality type to a T. After growing increasingly frustrated and bored in the healthcare field for 14 years, she saw a proverbial squirrel and jumped fields into mortgage lending, where she finally feels settled and happy career-wise, at least we hope. She has long felt like she fits the ADHD mold and is delighted to have found her people within such a supportive community in which to learn, vent, and grow. She lives with her husband and two children in the Hudson Valley region in New York. Liz and I talk all about ADHD and switching career paths paths and the myth of adult onset ADHD, which is what she was diagnosed with. And we also talk about chronic burnout and the sheer exhaustion of keeping up appearances. Like I said, I've known Liz for nearly a decade. So we also talk about what it's like to have ADHD in long-term friendships where you kind of float in and out of each other's lives. And finally, Liz talks about the connection between ADHD and the MTHFR gene abnormality and how she discovered a histamine intolerance after a bad experience with MSG. I also want to give this episode a trigger warning. We do discuss elimination diets, and we also talk about my experience with intermittent fasting. So if you have a history with an eating disorder or disordered eating, please proceed with caution, or you might just want to skip this interview altogether. Okay, here we go. Enjoy. This is like such a pleasant um, side effect of this whole journey for me was like accidentally coming out because I didn't I don't think I ever told you that like the posting about the podcast on my personal Facebook profile was a total accident. I Uh it was like an ADHD moment where I thought I was posting it on this Facebook page that I had created that nobody knew about. 
and I accidentally posted it on my personal profile. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess it's out there. Yeah. And I had I had like a number of people message me and say like, oh, well, you know, I know some so and so or I know so and so has it. And then you were like, I'm there with you, girl. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. Um. So that's been super exciting because I love you and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah, all right, yeah, that totally makes sense. I see it. I see it all. <laughs> that was my favorite part was reading you like, no, I, I, yep, I, I'm right there with you. I see that. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> it's funny because that is sort of part of that diagnosis journey is realizing like how there are like all of your favorite people in your life probably mm-hmm. have it and how do you tell them? <laughs> You know, like what's, you know, that feeling of like, yeah, like I remember as soon as I was diagnosed, I called both of my brothers and was like, so guess what? You probably have this too. And here's why. And and we all had the same misconceptions about what it looks like. So I'm so excited to sit down with you and find out like, what, what was this journey like for you? I had no idea. When were you diagnosed? How long ago? And kind of what led up to all of that? Okay. I, um, I've always been all over the place. I think you know that from knowing me. <laughs> I, I've just, I've never, and not even necessarily physically, just like, yeah. I, I always equate my brain to being a train station. And some people maybe have one or two tracks that run and they're, that works for them. And I just see my brain as having like 30 different trains leaving, coming, going, what? Huh? And that's sort of how I like have always been. I've, I've always been a job hopper. I get bored. I do what I need to do there. And then I'm like looking for something else. Or um, I think I have currently a list of 17 hobbies that I enjoy, have never become a master at any. I actually feel like I can't become a master because I can't actually, I tell my husband all the time, I drive him crazy. And I tell him all the time, like, I wish I had more time in this life. There's not enough time. I want to do this job and I want to learn what it's like to be this. And I wanted to... And he's like, settle and just choose one. And to me, that's completely impossible. Um, but sort of, that's sort of how I've always been. You know, even professionally, I'm a registered dietitian and I should be able to sit and read a scholarly article from front. I should be able to do that. I need to be able to do that. My brain just, and I'm interested. I get through like the abstract and I'm literally like off in a daze somewhere else. And I want to do it. And I truly have, have a difficult time really forcing myself to do that. I just can't actually do it. It's because you got what you needed from the abstract. That's what I kind of realized is that like, usually when I get through the first paragraph of something, if it's well written enough, I'm like, okay, I've made, I've already gotten what I need from this. And so why do I have to read the entire thing? It's just, it's just repetition at that point. I I like that. I, you know, some, so my husband and you, you know, you've met him, I believe, uh, he's an herbalist and he has, he has like the complete opposite brain of me where he can hyper-focus. Uh, you know, he has he has this thing, herbalism, where he's so obsessed with it, he hyper-focuses. So he could take like a 15-page dry-as-bone article and sit and read it for fun and enjoy it and absorb it. And I like, like, like I start to twitch watching him do this, thinking, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up with a little brother who was extremely classic ADHD, what we would consider like what most people would assume is ADHD, bouncing off walls. So Mark was diagnosed? My little brother, yeah. Okay. He, um, off the walls, absolutely, for his whole life. Very, very, you know, difficult for him to 
like chill. I remember growing up, my mom like had to watch his diet very much. I, I re- always remember, and even in the back of my head, it's like, those are the devil because he, if he had corn syrup or any food dyes, he was absolutely like off the walls. But if he didn't, he was chill. And I just always remembered that growing up. So to me, that's what I had in my head of ADHD and not, you know, some of the things that now I'm learning women can be you know, experiencing with ADHD. So I never really thought I had it um, until I I went to a new therapist maybe five years ago. I really, yes, I really wanted another baby and my husband wasn't on that same page with me and I was really struggling with kind of needing to have a baby, but he wasn't really, you know, that wasn't on his life agenda. You know what I mean? So I kind of needed somebody else to sort of help me cope with that. And I went to a new therapist and like three quarters of the way through the session, she just kind of like held up her hand and she's like, just want to just, just throwing it out there. You know, you have ADHD bad, right? Like, you know, you have this. And I was like, me, me, what do you mean? And I, and I know I'm all over the place, but I was like, and I, and I forgot what she said the rest of the time because (laughs) in my head, I'm like, huh? Huh? I have to go read read about it. I have to go do this. I have to do research. Yeah. So, and I'm always one of those people that's like, ooh, a diagnosis, it must be what I am. Let me go. Like I get all into it for a brief period of time, let's all be honest, until I move on to the next thing. Uh, But I I remember coming home and reading about ADHD and uh, adult onset. That's what she told me. You probably have adult onset ADHD, which looking back my whole life, I've obviously had these issues, but um, it was fascinating to learn all of the different things that I had been experiencing was a thing. I'm reading like the, the list of symptoms and being like, yep, yep, yep. Oh my God. Yes. Well, kind of fun in a way. And then kind of like, what do I do now? In yeah. A way. yeah. I know. Yeah. That was really a turning point for me. It was like when my therapist who has ADHD started suggesting it years ago, but I didn't really like, it didn't register. Like I was sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do with that information. Like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I am sort of, yeah. I do have manic energy and I do like really like, uh, I, I take on projects. I, you know, take on new identities, you know, I'm like, uh, I've yes. had more jobs than I can think of. And like, I get super interested yeah. in things and then drop them. And so yeah. like those things I related to, but then when I took the online self-test for women from Attitude Magazine, when it was talking about like how much you hate having somebody swing by your house without not <laughs> without warning yes. and like this stuff yeah. or like how much you hate traffic. Like it was all of these ways in which I was connecting to the hyperactive mind element in a way that I was like, oh, okay, this is much more than just feeling like a scatterbrain. Like there's much more of like a social and emotional element to this. But again, like didn't really know what to do with that information until the pandemic when I really like, I had like a total breakdown in the beginning of the pandemic. And that was when my therapist was like, I think it would help you to look into ADHD a little more in terms of how to help yourself in this moment, because everything I was trying to do wasn't working. And so I think she sort of at some point knew that what I'm experiencing when I'm interviewing a lot of women was that sense of like, there's something about just like making some deep connection that all of these 
seemingly unrelated struggles that you've experienced over the course of your life all have this one magical too good to be true source and like what to do with that information oh how I can relate to that yeah right I think I think with the pandemic it's forced a lot of us to be like totally shut down you know I I kind of feel this way and I don't you know just from talking to other people I feel like I am exhausted all of the time because I didn't realize this until recently I'm spending so much of my time trying to maintain control because I know that I can get off kilter so fast. I need the day to be exactly just so I need to know exactly what to expect of my day so that I can keep that, try and maintain some sort of sense of normalcy and, and function. And with, with um, the pandemic that just kind of got shot to hell. You know, we, we all just, you know, I remember one time we went to a wedding of a friend and I got so dressed up. I was like, I did my hair. I, this was like, she's like a fancy person. So I like wanted to be fancy. And um, we got to the reception hall and people were vacuuming and no one was there. And I was like, what? Where is everyone? How could this be? It's the time. And I talked to like the person came over to us and she was like, oh my God, this wedding is tomorrow. <gasps> I... I I remember, my husband still remembers this. I shut down completely. I literally just shut down. I didn't freak out. I just like, my brain could not cope with the fact that this was my plan for the day. We had set up childcare. We had done all these things. And that, that the fact that I had gotten it all screwed up and I had to do all this stuff now to create normalcy for the next day, I shut right down. I could not cope. I'll never forget it because it was such an extreme moment of that. Yeah. Where my brain just could not grasp what to do next. It was it was bizarre. And but I've seen a lot of that with my research is that we we so strive to have some sort of sense of order that when the order we've tried to create goes down, we go down with it. Yeah. And that really was locked down for all of us and why I think yeah. there's been such this proliferation of diagnoses after COVID. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to bring that up because I feel like that a lot of the time I've related to that so much, that feeling of like, you spend all of your time organizing because it doesn't matter how much organizing you do, you still feel like an overarching sense of chaos. And so it's like the organizing becomes, um, the, the goal, you know, like, it's almost like there's no set, there's no time that you ever get to the destination of feeling organized. (laughs) So ever, but you're twitchy the whole time trying to maintain this, that doesn't really ever come to fruition. And then trying to, it's just, it's exhausting. I realize that's one of the reasons why I'm like burnt out more at the end of the day than say somebody else I know that maybe doesn't have this because there's just this constant need to try to create order. Do you think it's the organizing that is exhausting or is it the belief that, um, is it like when you suddenly come face to face with the futility of it all that you, sh- you know, and then you shut yes. down, like, is that yeah. the exhaustion? Cause I, so many people I talk to like talk about masking, you know, and that feeling of like, we spend so much of our time trying to, yeah. Uh, present ourselves in a certain way mm-hmm. to try to be live up to a certain um, oh yeah uh, view of who we are mm-hmm. and that sense of like our public identity is one of like very competent and very organized and very sort of um, you know always up for everything and then like secretly inside we just feel like a complete chaotic hot mess and that's something like I think totally. we all kind of share that and so there's this sense of like keeping up an appearance or keeping up as yeah. this idea that like 
I'm supposed to be somebody who, that I'm not. And, mm. and, and then you realize that not everybody feels that way. Like mm-hmm. I, I just sort of believe that was part of the human condition. And so sometimes now I think like realizing that that's not how everybody feels yeah. almost like it's like you're staring the reality in the face and then it, then that becomes the exhaustion is just the like mm. futility of it all. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get that. I totally get that. Imposter syndrome is real. I have that completely all the time where I just feel like I'm just putting, I'm just trying to be this person, but I don't deserve to be there. I shouldn't be there. Or I don't know how I got there. And it's, uh, I don't know if that is something you ever experienced. But. Oh my God. Yes. Are you kidding me? Of course. And and not only that, but, and, and I call it piece of shit syndrome, which I stole from one of my guests, Rachel, who talks about it a lot, but that's, you know, that was, I think one of the big tip offs for my therapist too, which was like, I would come in there week after week after week. And I would talk about this thing. And I was talking about this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm, oh, I'm I'm really interested in this. And then, but at the end of the day, I would be like, but like, I feel terrible about myself and I feel like a piece of shit. And she was like, how are you like, why are you always defaulting to this? And, and I think that was, I didn't realize at the time that that was a huge part of the, the, that emotional element and that, um, rumination element was a huge part of female ADHD or I guess any adult ADHD. Uh, so I, again, like I didn't, I just thought I was chronically depressed because that's what everybody had told me. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I'm very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and in fact, it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it's so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. The service is available for clients worldwide, so there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available locally for a lot of us. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. Wait, when were you? So when were you diagnosed? Did you even say? So it had to be five this years ago. This was five ago, years I, ago. Okay. I mean, a therapist told me this. I, don't, I assume that's a diagnosis. Um, so you've never I'm medicated. I've, I have tried it. And um, it truly actually made me feel like a real human. Mm. I remember trying. I tried Adderall. Um just to see if it helped. And I remember I've talked to my dad about this because my dad also has tried it. He has, he has ADHD and he doesn't like to admit it, but you know, we had to get it from somewhere in a sense, you know, if it's genetic and he tried it as well. And we both had this like, like connection moment when we talked about it, where it felt like the puzzle piece we'd been trying to fit in upside down, finally turned the right way and locked in and our, and our brains were just able to to focus. I certainly, I never felt stimulated. I never felt like on, like I was on something. I just remember being like, I can breathe. I want to do this. I actually want to do the day. What do, what can I do today? Like, I I think I want to play with my kids today. I think I actually felt like instead of spending all of my time, I hadn't even realized focusing on just existing quote unquote, normally I could breathe. It was pretty amazing. Pretty Mm -hmm. amazing actually. But Um, I don't necessarily want to take those things all the time, you know, and I don't, uh, I don't know if to me, that's like a once in a while thing. If, you know, if I need to with my doctor, but 
I don't know. It felt really good, but I also feel like I, I kind of want to work towards figuring out how to do that if I yeah. can. Yeah, I had a, I mean, I had a very similar experience with Vivance, which is the okay. same, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's, they're both the same stimulant. Mm-hmm. So, and it was immediate, that immediate feeling of like, oh, my brain is so quiet and yeah. calm. And I had a very similar experience when I first tried SSRIs, you know, um, but also I took SSRIs when I had newborns. So like, I'm like, there's such, so many other factors. There's the sleep deprivation and the the crying and all of that other stuff. Um, But I like definitely have that distinct memory of like before and after taking the medication of just like after the medic, taking the medication, just feeling like just calm and feeling like I could do the thing, you know, like I I always said it helped me cope. But then I also noticed with Vyvanse that after about a week, I didn't feel that anymore. Like I sort of felt like it wasn't do the things I was looking for, like help with focus or help with like actually accomplishing tasks and staying on those tasks and not getting distracted. It wasn't helping with that, even though my brain felt a little quieter. And so then I just sort of was like, do Mm. I want to stay on this? Do I not? And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I was, when I first started this podcast, I was madly asking every single guest, like, are you medicating? Cause some people say like, it's the best thing that ever happened to them and it's been life changing. And I'm like, what does that mean? What is life changing? What are you getting from it? What are you, how, you know, right. and I just had so many questions as I always do about any psychotropic medication where I'm just like, I get so exhausted by the constant questioning of, is this working? Right. Um, that I end up going off of it because I'm sort of like, I feel like it's sort of easier to just ignore exist at a baseline of no medication. And then, and then, you know, it's like, it's like even like as a registered dietitian where you're like, okay, let's figure out what's bothering you internally. So we'll take everything out and then slowly start introducing things one at a time. Hey, it's Katie. Do you feel out of control around food? Do you feel mystified by the concept of intuitive eating? Are you wondering how your ADHD plays into your complicated relationship with food and your body? Do you want to make positive changes, but the thought of going on yet another diet makes you want to scream? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then you're going to want to check out my Worth It With Katie small group coaching program. We meet for six consecutive weeks in a small, supportive, virtual group led by yours truly, and we communicate with and support each other in a private online forum throughout the week between our sessions. Each week, we dive deep into our own complicated histories with dieting, body image, and exercise, and we look at these topics through the lens of ADHD and why so many of us struggle with binge eating and impulsive overeating and poor body image and self-worth. Here's some of the feedback I've been getting from the current participants in the Worth It With Katie group coaching program. One of them says, I am rethinking everything I thought I knew about health and my body. Another one says, I am loving the realness of Katie and all the other participants. This has been life-changing. I have stopped binging and my constant hunger no longer controls my day. My mental health has improved and I am happier than I have been in years. The insights into how my ADHD fits in with my history of yo-yo dieting have been revelatory. Another one says, my thinking about health, food, and my body has changed completely. And finally, this program is so, so, so good. If you're ready to ditch dieting for good and nourish your body from the inside out, head over to my website, worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. And again, that's worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. The link is in the episode show notes. Head over to find out more information and claim your spot in the next program.
I'm sort of in the middle of all of that myself right now. Um, I actually find you posting that accidental post to be actually genius for me in a way for my own self, because I hadn't really considered all of the ADHD. It was like back here in the back of my mind. And then when you posted, I was like, oh, I should really look into this again. This is actually a thing for me. I should actually start paying attention to this more. Mm. And I started doing more research. And then, you know, just accepting that I have this, whatever, in the last six months or so. And then recently, this is sort of going to come out of left field, but it's going to come back to ADHD because I've recently had this insane epiphany about my own health that is totally changing some things for me. Um, I had a I had the soup at work. I worked at a nursing home and I had the soup for lunch one day and absolutely had the craziest reaction about an hour later. I got a red face. I had trouble breathing. My heart rate was all over the place. Uh, my anxiety went all over the, like out of control. I was running to the bathroom. It was an insane reaction and I did not know what was happening. And then I remember that I have similar but less reactions when I drank whiskey or if I have wine or... Um, coffee or something like that. And so I had asked the kitchen, like, did you do something different? I eat the soup all the time. What did you do something different? And he came in, he's like, they got us some cheap soup base we have to use. And he came in and the main ingredient was MSG. And I had never really thought too much about that um, in the past, but I, my dietitian brain kind of clicked on from, I never focus on myself with these things. I think about other people, but for myself, it's like, I like lose all, all cheats, all smarts. But my brain actually clicked in and I started thinking about histamines and how this was a complete histamine response that I had had with, this, with the MSG in the soup because MSG is extremely high in histamines. So I started doing more research. I like got mad about it, like, like so interested, mad in a good way. I started, you know, when you had the ADHD, right? You like voraciously like absorbing like a sponge. So I started doing more research about histamine intolerance which was like, I looked at the list of symptoms and it was like, tick, 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 tick. And I saw one of the symptoms was ADHD. And I was like, interesting because I was meeting all these other criteria, but I also have this ADHD type of brain. So then I started going even further um, into researching this histamine intolerance because my face is always red. I cover it with a ton of makeup. I always react to different foods. My hands swell. I get a, you know, this like swollen thing, like this whole bit. So then I start looking into why people get this histamine intolerance. And one of them was having the MTHFR gene abnormality. So I was like, oh, I did 23 and me years ago. Let me look. So I got all excited. I looked up what genes I'd have to look up. But then I looked on 23 and me and, and I looked into my, you can like, they have a bank thing that you can type in what you're looking for and it will tell you. So then it turns out that I have the worst possible case of MTHFR gene abnormality, which among other things, if you have this gene abnormality and you're not doing anything about it, it's sort of like a toilet that you're just, you keep clogging, but trying to flush at the same time, a lot of these pathways get blocked up that you're, and so it's this whole cascade of events of things that can happen in your body, one of which is this histamine intolerance. But then I found another connection with MTHFR and ADHD brain and how so many people who have ADHD also have this gene abnormality. It's very common. So I was like, then I was, I've been like on a, on a rip the last two to three weeks with this because I've, on top of having this brain that's all over the place, I, f I feel like garbage all the time. 
like all the time, tired, feel like I have the flu, brain fog, like you wouldn't believe, like 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 a like a blanket is on me. Was this before the soup or since? Yeah. The soup? Oh yeah. This okay. has been for years where I just feel like garbage all the time. I chalked it up. I had thyroid cancer 10 years ago, which you know, and I am on thyroid medication and I've chalked it up to that. Like it's just the thyroid not being there. So my, I'm just taking this dose every day of thyroid medication, whether it's the right dose or not every day. I mean, your body needs different amounts all the time and I'm just shooting this one dose. So bringing it all together, I decided to really go on like a histamine intolerance slash MTHFR elimination diet two weeks ago to this day where I cut out anything with folic acid, which is one of the things that uh, with MTHFR gene abnormality, we can't take folic acid, which is the synthetic form of folate that they enrich in all kinds of, you know, when you see enriched flour, enriched uh, products, they throw folic acid in there. And if you have this issue, your body cannot convert that folic acid to folate. And so it's just, it creates this whole cascade of events of things that should or should not happen. If you can do that one being like serotonin and dopamine production, uh, mood and the way that you handle stress. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So I've been on this diet for two weeks and I feel like a new person. I can't even explain it to you how much I feel like a new person just in two weeks. So I, that's like freaking me out. But one of them in the last even few days is that I'm starting to feel that same calm that I felt on Adderall. Where my brain seems like, I know I'm excited right now because I'm excitable about this, but I feel like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Could this be helping? I mean, I'm not saying it's going to make it all go away, but was the way that I was eating, even though I didn't mean to, was it the wrong way for my body? And it sort of made my ADHD exacerbated to hell. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. And all of a sudden it's sort of starting to feel like the stars are aligning again. You know, that puzzle piece is starting to fit in and it's kind of a miserable diet. I'm not going to lie, but I'll, I would do it to the rest, you know, forever if it meant that I could have energy again. Cause I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm jacked up on something. I have so much energy in the last few days. I'm not taking anything. It's kind of yeah. exciting. So th that's something that I've been very excited about in the last, you know, couple of weeks is this whole connection maybe with MTHFR gene abnormality and mood and the way that we perceive life. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It is, you know, and I feel like there are many ways in which I wonder how many ADHD symptoms, because I'm always fascinated with conversations about comorbidities, you know, because mm -hmm. I feel like there are comorbidities like dyslexia mm -hmm. and um, uh, social anxiety, you know, those sort of feel like those are comorbidities, uh, when it comes to ADHD. But then I feel like we start talking about symptoms as mm -hmm. though they are comorbidities, you know, where I feel like depression, um, um, or, you know, that sort of absent-mindedness or uh, rumination, like a lot of these things that are symptoms that may be ADHD, but also like you said, like could be a number of other things that, you know, mm -hmm. there could be so many other elements that are exacerbating symptoms that look like ADHD. And I've heard a lot of physicians who will talk about like, um, you know, trauma, you know, that there mm -hmm. are a lot of people who have PTSD will exhibit similar symptoms to ADHD. And so maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's the trauma. And I'm like, how do you untangle that? Because there's yeah. so much trauma involved in, in living an undiagnosed life. Even if it's undiagnosed ADHD, if it's undiagnosed some other genetic yeah 
malady, you know, not knowing what the source of of your problems is, is a trauma in itself. And so it's like, how do you even decide that something is trauma induced or just sort of correlative to the trauma that is induced by something else? (laughs) I feel like we could, I could talk to you for hours about like food and nutrition with ADHD, because I like, for me personally, like my hyper focus has been why so many people with ADHD respond to intermittent fasting and keto. Mm -hmm. And so I have this history of being, of like being very anti-diet and, you know, feeling like caloric restriction is just has so many other disastrous effects on Mm -hmm. our bodies that it's not Mm -hmm. worth it. But then I'm seeing like, I've like geek out about all of this research about autophagy and ketosis and like using fat for fuel instead of glucose for fuel. And like when I tried it, it was freaking amazing. Like I had a very similar reaction, which was like, I felt better than I've ever felt in my life when I tried intermittent fasting and was like, okay, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. And like, what do I do with this information? <laughs> I know. And, and again, you know, and again, it was sort of like, how, like, what is it? Is this going, is this long-term? Is this not like, right. uh, you know, I just felt like I, it just threw everything I knew about eating and mm-hmm. up in the air and you know and and I always think of you when it comes to breakfast because <laughs> you know you were always one of those people in my life who talked about the importance of like putting fire on the on uh, you know putting always putting a log on the fire first thing in the morning and using that fuel throughout the day and I'm like how does this but you know how what do I do with this information because I also sort of felt like maybe breakfast isn't the way best way to start the day you know like Um, or at least having breakfast at seven in the morning, isn't the best way to start the day. And so I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many of these crazy rabbit holes when it comes to a, what you're eating, what supplements you're taking. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just dizzying. And the irony of it being dizzying on somebody who has ADHD in the first place is not lost (laughs) on me because I'm like, (laughs) there's so many rabbit holes. You can just jump from hole to hole. That's how the I know. Right. And it's, (laughs) and so, I mean, and it makes sense that, you know, like you were saying in the beginning, like we are just like chronic learners. We are obsessed with finding answers. And I think that that's part of our identity too. Yes. I I always think of you when I think about my own like eating journey over the last year, because I've been doing so much tweaking in terms of like what's working and what's not, or even sugar, you know, like sugar, God, it's so problematic to talk about sugar. Like it's this addictive substance, but then at the same time, like I certainly noticed huge behavioral differences in my children when they had had sugar and when they didn't. And so what do you do with that? You don't want to limit it because then you have all these other issues when you start limiting foods because then you get into like restriction and binging and um but at the same time like it's there's a lot of tweaking when it comes to what you what you're putting in your body and then you (laughs) totally and that it's so frustrating because there's not one answer there never will be and that's all I think we ever want is one answer Yes. You know, for some people eating early in the morning, as soon as they wake up is going to change their life. And for other people, they're going to feel like they've got a bowling ball in their belly for the rest of the day. Yeah. Like there's no one, one answer. You know, I, I think with, when people start to feel better, when they change their diet, whether they do intermittent fasting, keto or any changes, a lot of times the one thing that they do is cut out. Um, because you know, when you start, when you're like, oh, I'm going to do intermittent fasting. 
a lot of times we also, with that, like handheld, we're going to probably make better choices at the same time. Right. Um, and so a lot of times I wonder if it just comes down to cutting out all the junk and, and are we feeling better? Even like bringing it back to maybe MTHFR, which a lot of the population has either one or two copies of this gene abnormality. Are we cutting out all this enriched flour that's everywhere and those pathways are able to function again and that's why we're feeling better. There's, it's almost impossible to figure it out for the, for the masses, what's making them feel better if they try keto or if they try whatever. It almost like we have to look at every single individual and break it down, which is exhausting. But that's really what it, what it takes because for some people it's cutting out folic acid and for some people it's cutting out sugar or inflammatory oils or maybe their body just shouldn't eat in the morning. It's exhausting. It is. And we do not tend to have casual relationships with things. Like I, I gave up drinking because I finally came to a point where I was like, I cannot have a casual relationship with alcohol. I never could. I just was able to kind of, you know, live with that knowledge. And, and, and I think there was a point when we were during lockdown, very soon into lockdown, like, uh, March 27th was the day that I was like, I am drinking a bottle of wine every night and I'm not okay with this. And I don't know how to stop it. And I don't know how to have wine in the house without drinking a bottle of wine. So I have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And then getting rid of it was really easy because I wasn't leaving the house or seeing anybody or going anywhere. And then like, after a couple weeks, I was like, Oh my goodness, I have, this feels amazing. (laughs) Like I didn't realize how much alcohol was like, was bleeding into the next day in terms of brain fog and energy. And, and then suddenly it was like the thought of drinking was no longer appealing to me because it came with all of those other things that then come with drinking. Just like when you have a food allergy where you're like, it's really easy to give up food when you have an allergy to it because it's like your motivation becomes wanting to avoid all of these negative side effects. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to give things up when you enjoy them and you feel like you should give them up for some other bigger reason. And so like, yeah, so like I have been just you know, thinking so much about deprivation in its different forms and how like we don't have a really great relationship with moderation. And so, like you said, like when it comes to when we make food choices and and when we get on these diets, the reason why some of these diets work so well is because, yeah, like you're just generally thinking about your food more and you're thinking Mm -hmm. about, and so you tend to eat better food in general. And, and, but that never stayed. Like you can never like keep that going for its own sake. Usually Mm -hmm. we end up becoming either orthorexic and becoming Mm -hmm. obsessed Mm -hmm. with how far can I take this? Can I, how far can I take organic and how far can I take, um, you know, whatever, uh, or you just give it all up and you throw your arms up in the air and you're like, forget it. I'm going to go back to eating Halloween chocolate for dinner, which believe me, I did a lot of. <laughs> and, I was, and I was even just having that conversation with my husband the other day because I've gotten back into this habit of like always having a bag of Halloween chocolate in the house. And like, and I was like, I just feel like it's, it's, it, it's like affecting my sleep. And I feel like I'm just like, yeah. I really just need to stop eating the chocolate. And he, and mm-hmm. he, but I was like, I can't have it 
in the house without eating it. Like it has to be gone. And, and I was like, that feels disordered. I, I, I know. You know, oh God. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know if this, I'm assuming this is all this rant is making sense to whoever's listening. I'm just like that idea of like, we, I think moderation is so important in life and it yes. feels easy to certain people. And I think for us, moderation is so difficult. Nothing. No, it's all or nothing. A hundred yeah. or zero. Um, you know, but I think like, for us, it has to actually make sense to us personally mm-hmm. to be able to say eliminate something if we need to, like with you with alcohol, you're able to do that now because it makes you feel that much better. And to you, that's worth it. It's worth it to you to not have that fog and to not have that lack of energy. But if, if it didn't provide you those things and you were just like, oh, I'm not supposed to drink that, screw it. You're just gonna, it's like, we have to actually have a personal, like rooted attachment to the feeling we get from eliminating something that we shouldn't have. Otherwise it's just not going to be worth it to us. I feel it's just going to be too easy to come off of it. But like maybe for you, alcohol, it's, it's actually pretty easy right now to say no to it because it's giving you a real personal, um, better. You feel it's worth it enough to you. You feel better enough that it's worth it. Yeah. And it's funny too, because I sort of wonder like, will I ever drink alcohol again? Um, and what will that say about me and what will that mean? Mm. You know, like it's so, Mm -hmm. I feel like we get so wrapped up in like what our choices mean in terms of who we are and even, even intermittent fasting. Like I, I did the whole thing, you know, I tried it completely in the closet because I was like, I can't be open about this. Like I can't, if I start like talking about intermittent fasting as somebody who is anti-diet, like I would get so much vitriol, like nobody can understand this journey of mine. And I have had to really sort of come up with that idea of like, no, this is my own personal journey yes. and, and I don't have to answer to anybody. And, yes, um, but it still makes me feel really sad when people who are in like body positive, intuitive eating RDs that I follow who are like intermittent fasting is terrible. And I'm like, Oh, that means I'm terrible. And what does that say about me? And I'm, you know, yeah, and it, you know, it can be, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to come, I, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. And I certainly am not yeah. like everybody should be doing intermittent fasting. Cause I, you know, I just read that book, intuitive fasting, that there was all this like outrage. Did you hear about this? I did. this yeah. So there was all, I read it so that the world doesn't have to, cause it's terrible, <laughs> but, <Had a> feeling. <laughs> but it's so diety. Oh my God. It's so awful. But I was curious because I was sort of like, there is a part of me that felt feels like there is some intuitive element to playing with, with, with not restriction, but like playing with time windows when it comes to eating. Mm -hmm. And I felt like turning windows on and turning windows off really, really appealed to me because then I didn't have to think about food when I, when my window was off. And I was like, for me, that kind of like intense structure really, really worked. Yeah. And I had the, like, I had the least complicated relationship with food I ever had with intermittent fasting because Mm. I didn't have to think about, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Am I doing that? You know, it was just like, now I eat, now I don't. It makes sense though why that worked for you in a way, because if your brain is very all or nothing, that's, that's black and white for you. Black, black and white. Like, yes, I can eat. No, I cannot. And, you know, I think maybe doing things like that for the sole purpose of looking fit, having weight loss, all that. Yeah. That can get really messed up real fast mentally, but I do think it's a totally different ball game when you are playing with your food, when it comes to feeling really good. 
Right. Like if you, if you, to me, that's a totally different animal in a way, um, because the end goal is to feel really good and not just look good in whatever bathing suit you've decided that you need to fit into that year. I mean, to the, the thought of seeing like, oh my gosh, if I don't eat breakfast, I have much more energy at the end of the day. That's a cool thing to play around with. If I don't eat breakfast so that my jeans button, eh, that's not going to end well mentally. You know what I mean? That might put you down a, a, a bad rabbit hole mentally, but playing with things to better your, your daily well-being and quality of life. I'm cool with that personally. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that was really kind of what I, how I ended up after much like constant questioning with my therapist and <laughs> of feeling like, am I doing something terrible for myself? Is this going to bite me in the ass at some point? Like at the end of the day, it was, yeah, it was like, what is my motivation? Why am I doing what I'm doing? If it's to, if it's to feel better then that's just between me and my body. Um, but I, it's also not that simple. I feel like there's a lot of choices that we make that do have weight intertwined in some way. Like, I think it would be great if it was that simple, but I don't feel like it is. <sighs> so what was it like telling your parent? Because since your brother had, was diagnosed as a kid, you know, what, and how does, first of all, what was it like talking to your parents about this? And then what was it like talking to your sister about this? I, I'm like a, I'm a real open book person. Mm-hmm. So is, I, I don't know. I can't keep anything to myself unless it's like somebody's secret. And then I will take it to the grave. I'm real good at other people's things, but my own, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. so as soon as I got out of that appointment, I'm texting my mom and my sister, like, ah, she said, I had it. And I started getting all, all is like, um, but when we all like started looking at the symptoms of adult onset for female or just adult ADHD for females, my mom and my sister and I were like, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And my sister was even like, I think I might have a little of this myself. Like we were all really open to it. Mm-hmm. And we all have known that like, you know, m- my dad also has, you know, a, you know, similar traits as well. So it was kind of like a bonding for all of us. Like, oh, okay. Like maybe we weren't all bouncing off the walls, like my little brother, but we all do have at least my sister and my dad and I, I'm not sure my mom so much, but my sister, and my dad and I all have this like sense of like, oh yeah, maybe we do all have the same like thread woven through us that yeah that we you know we come from the same root you know issue I know yeah the hardest yeah. thing for me has been not being able to talk about this with my mom because i feel like there's so many answers that have come from this and there's so many times that like I know I made her cry. Like I made her cry when I dropped out of school for the 12th time, you know, like all of these ways in which she, excuse me, she wanted to help me and couldn't and like ways in which she saw me struggling and, and so many things that I've talked about with her over the years. And like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it was so hard after this diagnosis. I was like the one person I know would be super interested and excited about all of this. I can't talk to her about it. Um, Moms are for totally. Especially as a child, I'm sure she experienced so many things watching you grow where she'd be like, yep, she would totally affirm it for you. You know, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of this diagnosis is like going back over your whole life with this new lens and this fine tooth comb and just being like, Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. And then when I went back and looked through my report cards to see like, what were, did, were the signs there? I feel like they were there. And then seeing it so clearly in black and white from like a very young age. And again, just being like, wow, nobody had a clue. (laughs) Yes, totally. I had a similar thing. I stopped caring in in fifth grade. I remember specifically fifth grade math got hard and my brain is not math geared. 
And I just decided I, I just like, and I always had like has potential and like has all these things on my, and the things I was interested in, I got great grades, but the things I didn't care about, I got terrible grades. And there was always like has potential, you know, needs to pay attention. <laughs> like all of you. And I was like, it's just all right there. It's yeah. all right there. <laughs> well, and the other thing that's been fascinating to me because I'm sort of out about it and have like become the ADHD person in people's mm -hmm. lives now, you know? And so I get a lot of like, people will forward me things and be like, I saw this thing about ADHD and it reminds me of you. And I'm like, that's nice. Thank you. I've already read a lot about that. Don't worry. I've got, I've got it covered. <laughs> but I also like, sometimes I will sort of make these lighthearted posts about like things that people with ADHD struggle with. And people who have ADHD will respond to those posts like you do, which is like, oh man, I hear you. I relate. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Preach. Yeah. And then there's other people who respond in this way. That's like, I'm sorry that you are struggling. Have you tried, <laughs> a, have you tried getting a planner and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> or they're like ways in which it's really feels like, like a violation. I don't know. Like I feel, mm -hmm. I get really like irrationally angry at yeah. those responses. And then I'm like, I'm going to stop talking about ADHD because I feel like it, the, the, the misunderstandings and the stigma around it really bother me. And I'm sort of like, I'm in this point right now where like, I want to advocate and I want to show people yeah. what it looks like, but I also get so irritated when people think it's like a disease, you know, or people yeah. think that somehow I'm struggling about it. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know how to talk yeah. about the struggles, but at the same time, like, feel like I'm not actually struggling or am sure. I? I don't know. But like, I don't want your pity. God damn it. <laughs> so, like, yeah. There's um, a total stigma about it. You know, I think a lot of people think that it's like a weakness in a way, you know, like, we'll just figure out how to organize better. And right. like, oh, I've never thought of that. Thank you. <laughs> how helpful. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of this, like, some people can be a little holier than thou when it comes to things like this, because it is, you know, some of the manifestations of ADHD do appear like you don't have it together in certain things. And it is difficult to be out there. And I'm sure it's very difficult to be out there with it and have to deal with. But on the flip side, you might be helping somebody who hadn't thought about ADHD realize what's something that's been bothering them their whole life. Right. Well, and I think about that too. Like my whole life, I've been an oversharer who impulsively just blurts out things about my life. And then I, and then I regret it. Cause I'm like, Oh, now I seem like a whatever blank to people, you know, where it's like, you can't manage people's reactions to you. And that can be frustrating. But I also realized that like, when I talked really openly about dieting, there were so many people who were so grateful for the yeah. fact that I could articulate these things and talk about my mm -hmm. personal experience. And I was like, this is a gift. This is a gift I have of being impulsive and blurting things <laughs> yes. out without thinking about it. Yeah. And oh, well, you know, and I would just kind of talk about that. I'm Sophia from the Golden Girls, and I don't have whatever self-censor you need. I don't have that. And so um, on the sometimes, like, sometimes I regret saying things and posting things. But for the most part, I always feel like, eh, you know, it's my cross to bear. And it's I'm worth helping it, people. I find. I You're do. always going to have some people that are going to, you know, pee, quote unquote, pee in your Cheerios. But I think that it's <laughs> worth it to help somebody. <laughs> Uh, who, 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 actually you helped me when you posted that because it really got my brain going again, which sort of triggered out this whole entire little sequence of events that has led me to where I am right now, which is in a, I, I hope a really good place of me finding my own root, my own root cause. So you helped me tremendously and you might not even have known it. Oh, I love that. Yeah.
So, okay. So we have been talking a lot about some of the struggles, but what's something you love about your ADHD? Um, I, this is, I don't even know if this makes sense or not, but I love all of my train tracks because I can, I love that I can talk to you. I could, if I wanted to, I could talk to you, text somebody on my phone and listen to a TV program and totally have a full, you know, full comprehension of everything that was going on. I truly love that. Uh, whether that's right or wrong or good or bad, that's one of my favorite things is that I can, I can, like, I, I'm so, I don't know. I could never focus on one specific thing. I like that I can have my ear as a mother. I think that's a good thing. I can have my ear to all kinds of different things. Um, I don't know. I like that. I used to freak my coworkers out because I would sit and type a note for one of my residents at the nursing home. And I would literally type the note while talking to them about something else. And the note would come out. My boss used to freak out. And I just like those little things that I don't know if I'd be able to do that if I, if I hadn't grown up with a brain like this. Yeah, no, that's true. And I've always related to that idea of if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Cause I yeah. certainly feel like I'm most productive when I have a lot of things happening and a lot of yes. things on my plate, yeah. which I like. Um, and I love, you know, I love your train tracks analogy. That's great. I'm going to steal that. Cause it's like the, you know, the other thing that I really like about it is how you can be so many things like how yeah. I've had like so many pivots and so many yes. 180s and so many different things that I'm yes. interested in. And that like constant learning and being mm-hmm. like, yeah, now I'm certified in this and oh yeah, now I'm going to be this and then be like, oh yeah, no yoga. That was last year. Okay. Now I'm doing oh this. Oh my God. Yes. So it doesn't too. surprise me that you're taking this total 180 now from yes. you. So, reg- so registered dietitian and um, personal trainer. Are you still doing personal training or is that, <clears throat> right is that on lost? Point. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. That's what I mean. Um, like I love knowing that you're like, yeah, it ran its course and now yeah. I'm doing this. That is that is another thing I like is that I am impulsive and I'm I'm because of that I have not I've never been afraid to do things that maybe others might be afraid to do. Like Like right now, I've been a dietitian for 13 years and I'm totally about to change careers. I'm not telling people so much yet what I'm doing, but I'm about to like totally leave healthcare and try something new, which, you know, I talk to people maybe without this type of brain and they're like, why, why would you do like what you, you have a stable job and why, I don't know. I want to last year, no, two years ago now, I really wanted to cut all my hair off. And for some people that might've taken a whole lifetime to build up the guts. And I was like, let's go do it. And growing it out, it was a nightmare, but now I'm a pixie cut survivor, you know, and I, but it was worth it. I loved it. I like to see what happens. Yeah. I do also like, for some reason, my brain is very stable (laughs) and I like stability when it comes to relationships. That makes me happy. Like, like with my husband, I don't feel over the place. I'm super chill. I'm, I'm so happy here, but like everything else in my life, I want to train. I want to change it. I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to, so it's nice that I have like a little bit of a, an anchor. Yeah. You know, I was talking so. to Matt about that recently because I was thinking about like relationships and friendships because something that we struggle with, or I can't, I'm trying to use words other than struggle because I feel eh. like it's not necessarily a struggle, but it's something I think that a lot of women with ADHD that I've talked to have in common is feeling 
complicated when it comes to friendships, especially with other women and feeling like a bad friend a lot of the time, because you're not able to show up for people in the way that you feel like you should. And yet you are, you know, you have a hard time valuing the things you do bring to relationships. Mm. And, and I certainly have like hot, cold relationships with most people in my life where like I come in hot, I'm really super into them. And then I fall off the planet and, you know, and years go by. Right. That's why you and I work actually, because, because we're, we're both that way. And we both mean no harm when it's cold. It's just, it's not the time for that right now. And then we come back together and it's like, I know. Well, and that's what I, I know. And I, that's what I love about, about knowing that you have ADHD too, because it gave me the freedom to just be like, Oh, I don't have to feel bad anymore because I sort of always felt like I had done something to get us off whatever communication track we were on. And then, and then you start to internalize that guilt and then you're like, I'm a terrible person. And then you're Homer backing into the bushes never to talk about that again with that person. And I was just like, I feel like we have so many of those relationships in our Mm -hmm. life where it's like, I feel like I've done something wrong. I don't know why I've offended you. And I'm just going to slowly back out of your life for your own sake. And so I was talking to Matt, I was like, how is it that we have had this like totally relatively uncomplicated relationship for 20 years of just like, you know, you're my person and I don't have any of that complication with you. And, and so we talk a lot about that because he was, he just immediately was like, well, I'm not, I'm not another person to you. I'm an extension of you, you know? And so I think that there are people in your life who become extensions of you where you are just yourself with them. Like you can't help it. And so you don't feel I mean, I certainly feel guilt and shame in my relationship in certain ways, but you don't have that same sense of like how I'm supposed to be acting or how I'm supposed to, you know, obligation or anything like people, there's certain people that you love, your kids, your parents, your, your partners who are just extensions of you and they're sort of in your orbit and you don't have to worry about, um, cultivating the relationship so much. I like that. I don't know. I mean, I certainly feel like relationships are work and, and there's certain things you need to do, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's been, it's been interesting to sort of feel like, why is it I can have this super stable, one stable relationship and not have any issues with it. Yeah. Um, and yet feel like so many other relationships in my life end up being problematic. Yeah. Um, oh, this has been so wonderful. It's been so nice to catch up and yeah, hear your story. I was so curious and I'm grateful that you were able to do it in this kind of formalized way. Yeah, thanks for having me. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. 
My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.